Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Jane Pfeiffer, the founder and president of Field Trip. Jane, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Steve, I'm so excited. We're going to, I know we agree on a, a couple of our philosophies, and so look forward to hassling it and maybe arm wrestling a little bit. Let's see if we can make some things happen today. Absolutely. Uh, before we dive into some specifics around how charities can be really rethinking how they communicate who they are and what they do in community to really bring more support to the table, um, could you just introduce your company, your work, um, how you decided to found this and, and what you do? Yeah, so Field Trip is a marketing and branding firm focused on working with nonprofits and purpose-driven organizations. And what we do is help them uh, reduce their largest expense. Um, it's an expense that it's significant, but it doesn't show up on that P&L. So it gets lost and ignored. And it's the expense of IDKs. Um, <laughs> now, Steve, I don't know if you know what an IDK is. Have you heard that I do. Before? All right. So, you know, I'm talking about an I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know if you can help me. I don't know why I should help you. I don't know if this issue, homelessness, hunger, is important enough to be solved or how it even impacts me. And though that IDK creates a lot of lost opportunities. And so we work with executive leaders to solve, you know, typically one of three problems. The first being the relevance and the need for what they do has never been greater, but there's stronger friction around every part of that process and delivering the mission. Second is there is a Grand Canyon size gap between the people that they serve, especially in um, health and social services where we work a lot and what's happening in their life and their very most basic needs. And then the lifestyles and perspectives of the people who have the time resources and you know ability to help. And so we have to bring those two sides together. And then finally, um, you know, leadership is just exhausted with constantly explaining what they do, why they do it, and why it's important. And they just want to do the mission. And so, you know, I know we agree that when you're explaining, you're losing. Um, so, you know, how can we help um, agencies really inspire people instead of, you know, explain and just hope people believe and become engaged? Because those, those, those things aren't happening anymore. So you've got some great information on your website and I'll link to that in the show notes here. Well, you know what, before I get into that question about um, that I was, I was just gonna follow up with, uh, why the name Field Trip as you were deciding on how you create this mission outreach conversation? Yeah, we. What one thing that's been in common across our now 16 year history is that as marketers, we tend to sit around the table and we can come up with ideas, we create strategy, but where we're unique is that we know we have to go to the outside world first. We don't want to limit our thinking and perspectives to the people who are mm -hmm. always sitting around the table yeah. because they're already close and familiar with us. We need to be talking to the people who don't know about us or for some reason won't consider us or who aren't coming to us in their time of need because it's those minds we're trying to change. And if we don't go out there, take a field trip and explore those perspectives, we really don't have permission or shouldn't be giving ourselves permission to come back and then do 
the ideation and, you know, the fun stuff that we think about when it comes to marketing, you got to go out and see it differently. That's the only way you're going to really have an inspirational strategy. Great. So the first, and I I love that frame of it. I think that's just a a really important way of thinking about things. Uh, I want to take a moment, though, to go back to what you were saying just a second ago about that if you're explaining, you're losing. And uh, that's a a great short little rememberer to um, think through. But for people that haven't heard that framing of this before, um, what do you mean by that when you talk to a a mission-based organization that if you're explaining, you're losing? Yeah, well, I think we all fall into that. Um, you know, you're you're selling yourself, and so what you do and how you do it is is what you focus on every day. So that's a logical place to start. But if you think about having a conversation, let's say with a potential donor or maybe a corporate sponsor, and you're describing your efforts as you know we're we're feeding hungry children so they can have um, a strong day at school, their brains work better. Um, They're able to retain information. We see these types of benefits. We prepare this many meals. We're in this many locations. All of that is very true. And all of that is very valuable. But you're explaining. And if you're explaining, you're not creating an emotional connection. And every decision, I don't care if you're an accountant or, you know, whatever science mind you have, decisions start and end in an emotional state. We use that. X number of locations, so many meals to rationalize our emotional response. So if instead of saying, oh, yes, we're a um, children's before school, you know, breakfast program, I could say simply we are feeding the minds of tomorrow because the meals that they get today will advance them in education so they can long term stick with education, be a bigger contributor to our society and have less need for social services, that they're moving forward in life independently. That's a much bigger promise than what we want to go from 500 meals to 600 meals this year. You know, it it, it ties to another one of her philosophies about, you know, the ripple effect of impact stories. But let's just stay on that, you know, explaining you're losing you. There is a time for explanation, but you have to inspire people first. So when we first got connected, uh, I and we're talking about the idea of uh, having a conversation for the podcast here, part of my uh, thoughts of how is this a next in nonprofits conversation? What is this different? And I think that there are still far too many mission-based organizations out there um, that, first of all, do get lost in their own lingo. They haven't taken the field trip yet. So, um, you know, they're, they're starting out with, we are a 501c3 organ. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. No, 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 don't do that. Um, but th- there's also this tentative of, uh, you know, what we're doing uh, needs to be sort of justified out there. And, and we have to kind of help you know, people get to that point versus I think uh, I, I, somewhere in your language, you use the word bold, a bolder perspective of, of course, what we're doing is important. Now you need to understand how you're engaged in it and what you're doing to support it and why the community is doing those things. We're, we're not sort of coming in with this tentativeness of, we, would you please consider, you know, a small contribution? but rather this is worth your energy. I already know that. Now let's get onto these other questions that you might have about how we're doing impact and whatever the other things may be. How do you help folks that come to you that are talking about reaching a broader audience that are expanding that out to that idea of the bold promise versus the maybe more timid ask? Yeah, I I think I'm stealing your words. It's that 
you know, sense of humility that, you know, you're begging for scraps and, you know, okay, maybe now is a good time to ask. The way that we have been successful and is breaking it down to one simple thing, and that's that's one audience. Um, Nonprofits have multiple audiences. They have to take care of board members, the beneficiaries, the people they serve, their donors, um, you know, federal programs, local state programs, their employees, volunteers. And what happens so often is they're trapped in trying to take one message and then distribute it across all these multiple audiences. And the biggest impact they can make is to recognize that they have one audience. Yes, they have multiple, but we're we're going to act like we have one. And that's the people that we help. So if my website, let's stick with the, the children's meals program, and it, it's a little, little difficult because it is children, but let's say we're talking to those families and we're talking about, you know, the importance of having bre- healthy breakfast and the impact to education. And we're so focused on who we serve. What happens is all those other audiences see our passion, our knowledge, our dedication, our just maniacal focus on this is what we do and we do it so well that they believe in us and they need less explaining, less rationale for why we need this financial support or why we need you know, this type of partnership. They, they see it so they readily believe it as opposed to let's say a website that is all focused towards donor and volunteer. Um, you know, we, we worked with a large um, program that, you know, deals um, with the unhoused. And yes, they had, we mapped out over 20 different audiences for them. But what we were able to sell through and what has been so revolutionary for them is we built a website for the unhoused. So they had lower, most often, lower reading levels, lower sophistication with internet use, slower bandwidth. Um, might have some, you know, other implications in terms of reading and digesting information. And you would think, well, you know, this is a multi-million dollar organization. What are people going to think when they come to this somewhat basic website? Well, you know, what happened is they believed they could see how readily and available and simple they were making it for people to take this one step forward that it it did exactly what they needed by actually making things simpler and focusing on that one audience. And I think that there's this, and you've got, uh, I mentioned earlier, I will link back to your website in the show notes. So if people listening, just pop into the show notes, you'll get the direct link to the uh, wearefieldtrip.com website. Uh, there's some really interesting things in the mission multiplier video and text information there that talks a little bit about that um, level of, uh, they if they can't, if they don't know who you are, it doesn't really matter how good at it you are, right? If they have no awareness of you as an organization, or a mission that doesn't you know provide you the benefit you need in community uh you know if they know who you are but they're not sure you're the ones to solve the problem because that's not a clear piece of communication yet that you know is our next stumbling block uh to me this is sort of reminiscent of that engagement ladder piece where we just have to understand uh that there is a broad range of people out there that do not wake up every morning uh get themselves a cup of coffee go take the dog for a walk and then sit down to understand exactly what's happening of the 
impact of homelessness in America, right? The, the, we need to help them. But I think in that bolder promise of we're the ones to solve this problem, we're doing it now. Here's how you're engaging. You know, we need you as a volunteer. We need you as a, you know, if you're a participant, if you need help, you know, we need you to come in and, and work with us that way. But I think a lot of the ways that many of us can be participants is, is as those community supporters that might become donors. And uh, a lot of folks that I talk to, that's the the part of the audience they feel sometimes they're not as connected to. But people don't just become donors right away, right? They have to believe they, they understand the awareness of the problem and why you're the ones to solve it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think sometimes charities do get more timid there. Like, well, there's a lot of good work being done. And, you know, sure, there's good work being done, but how do you coach people through that concept of that, that bolder promise of your investment here is going to make the difference rather than that more tentative, maybe you could invest somewhere else and maybe that even is better. And how do you talk to people about it? Yeah. How to make a bold promise. You know, it sounds so simple. Um, and some of the best, most exciting work we've done, that appetite has already been there. I mean, when you're mm -hmm. working with a state organization and they're saying we're ending child abuse in this state, you know, some people could say that that's not possible, um, but it's possible if we, we can't give up belief in that. And, you know, competition is a bad word uh, for nonprofits often. It's not competition so that you're beating out others in your sector or in your space because there's multiple opportunities to collaborate and be stronger. But you have to fight for market share, if nothing else, in people's minds for awareness. And so, you know, taking that incremental promise of instead of moving from where we are today to one safe step forward that, you know, I know I can get there. So that's why I'm going to promise it. That's fine, but you're not inspiring anyone. So you, you have to think big and put that out there. You know, I'm, I'm going to date myself and say, you know, in my generation, I mean, there was a sense of obligation. You tithed to church, you donated, you, you know, always volunteer because that showed your character. And it's not that people are, um, you know, lesser than, it's that they have a greater sense of accountability that they expect from those organizations that they're going to help. So instead of showing up and saying, hey, you know, you didn't even have to ask, I'm here ready to give, now we have to show that authenticity. So making that bold, brave promise that is uncomfortable. We don't know exactly how we're gonna get there, but we are going to get there, not alone, not without you and not without the hubbo others, but we are going to end this, start this, make sure every child has this. Um, and then really focusing on how, what you're doing today that is going to make that a reality in you know, the, the foreseeable future. So I would say those two things is, is really that audience and just get over yourself and your, uh, you know, your need to have certainty <laughs> and, um, you know, putting yourself out there in your organization and in a way that it's just going to make you wonder, how do we make that happen? How do we live and make something so bold happen? Right.
uh, and maybe getting over the modesty or the other things that uh, sometimes charities will put in in the in the way of a conversation about moving forward as a uh, unavoidable roadblock, and we have to work around this thing. And um, I've I've told this story briefly on on this podcast and other places before about being in a meeting uh, with a housing provider in the Twin Cities here, where uh, somebody said, "Well, you know, there's not enough money to provide housing for X, Y, and Z. So what we think we can do is." And they wanted to move on to here's what's accomplishable, right? Here's what's possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and that leader said it's just stopped everything. He's like, no, hold on, hold on. There's enough money. There is absolutely enough money to house every person that needs housing. That is not our barrier. There is enough. We're not allocating it to this purpose right now. It's going other places. Um, but there's enough. So don't ever give an inch on the fact that, well, we can't do it because government won't do X or philanthropy won't do Y or whatever. I think getting that framework in front of you to say, there are solutions to this problem. They may be bold. They may be difficult to achieve, but it's not an impossibility. And I think right now, as we're recording this in you know the summer of 2022, I think we're looking at attacks on institutions as a political strategy by some people going, well, government can't solve problems. They're incapable. They're broken. Not as a here's how we're going to solve it instead, but as a well, give up, get out of our way, and and stop trying to be in the fight. And, and if the charities that are, I think could hear this message that you're you're advocating to propose that bolder thing, can't let people off the hook with that. Can't say, oh yeah, you're right, government's broken, we got to go home and give it up, or you know, charities don't have enough money, we have to go home and and do less. But rather. How do we envision that path forward where, you know, those big obstacles are just things that get dealt with over time as more people come together in mission? Yeah, I, I mean, I, Steve, I'll ask you, what advice would you give, you know, for your clients where not only is it the maybe tendency to give up because you, you, you think maybe it's just too aspirational, mm -hmm. but even the thought sometimes where I've been, where even the own board members don't understand why this issue needs to be solved. You know, making a comment like, well, they, they just need to go get a job and right. then we won't have to work so hard. That's not what was said, but you know, that, that gap in perspectives is, is very limiting. Um, and if you hear it too often, you can start to buy into it. But, you know, what's your advice or recommendation when you hear and see things like you you just mentioned in that scenario? Right. Yeah. And I do run into these things, too, in my practice as well. And I think often uh, the the you know, this can't be done right now because of whatever uh, or this can't be done because of X, Y or Z. And, and therefore, we want to refocus our messaging smaller or we want to communicate something that's more achievable or something. Um, and I always encourage people to come back with the idea of yet. It's not, it, it can't be done yet. Um, we can do it. So we need to, to offer that path forward for people. We need to show that leadership. We need to be the ones that are um, envisioning that because absolutely, if you agree with them that it can't be done, it's not going to be done. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's no question. Um, if you look at barriers, not with a Pollyanna-ish of, oh, someday that'll be solved, but in the meantime, 
but rather how are we stepping into that space to lead uh, that conversation on how it's going to get solved? Uh, the the burden becomes more on us as uh, the the nonprofit uh, delivering that to not only deliver the meals to the kids that day, but talk about uh, you know if we want government partnerships, how are we going to get? government support for that conversation if we want you know other private sector partnerships not acknowledging that it can't be done we have to talk about how we're going to do it and why we're the ones to do it and i do think that that why we're the ones part of the conversation can be so challenging because they do see partners in community that they feel like well we don't want to overstep our bounds we don't want them to be mad at us and we we want to acknowledge the good work that they're doing and i don't think that being confident in a bold promise is the same thing as trying to somehow put others down, uh, but rather Agreed. to lift up what we're doing here and why it is the answer that you should be investing in. Uh, what One quick story on this, because I, I just did a, a, a video conversation with a, a legacy donor for one of the clients I'm working with, um, and I was just asking her, what, what I really want you is just tell your story about why you believed in this, right? You could have picked any number of charities to include in your will, but you decided you wanted to give here. You could have given to an animal rights charity, and you could, you know, could have done that. And she looked at me, she's like, well, I did that too. <laughs> you know, not not like, well, you're not the only charity in the world I believe in. You know, I I've, yes, I did give to an animal rights charity and yours. Uh, and I'm like, right, of course you did. Of course you did. We are not exclusive. Putting our bold promise on the table and asking you to join us doesn't mean you can't do other people's stuff too. Um, we're not saying that we're the only game in town. We're saying that we're worth your investment, your time, your commitment, your energy. And that's great if they also find other paths, but we can't back down from the we are worth your consideration and your financial investment, your volunteer time kind of thing. Uh, and that I think is maybe where I still see too much breakdown in the nonprofit sector where people don't take that bolder stance sometimes. Well, here, bear with me because I'm going to try and make a sports analogy, which is not my thing. <laughs> not mine either, but let's go. Yeah, but let's think about, you know, I'm I'm in Kentucky, so, you know, basketball is everything. But I can't imagine, you know, saying there can only be one team hmm. because, you know, it, or that if we brought everybody in and they had to play nice in the sandbox, I mean, what would be the level of play? What makes it exciting is there are multiple people competing in the same floor and some are better than others. And I mean, I, I know it's not the best analogy, but it's like, there's a dynamic there that lifts everybody because you learn something from the best team. You learn something from the small guy and the unexpected underdog. You just have to play and continue to perform. And you don't go out there to say, well, I don't want anybody to get hurt. And I don't want anybody to feel bad at the end of this game. And I want everybody to like me when it's over. That's that's not how you win. I but don't know if that good, works, but that's well, what came to What mind. I like about the analogy, though, is that the, there are some rules, right, um, mm -hmm. uh, about what is good, right, and fair. So we, we will never lie to a client about what kind of services we can provide. We're not going to mislead donors about any, you know, there's good rules that help us all have a good, fair um, opportunity to get out there and do something good, right? Whatever the, the rule structure may be. So sure, there's some basic rules of that. But within that framework, there there is, you know, that every successful sports team doesn't take to the court that day and go, well, I, you know, maybe we'll try. 
I mean, it's like, we're going to win this game. We're going to get out there. We're going to do this thing. And the other team is saying exactly the same thing. We all know, you know, at the end of that particular, you know, 60 minutes of play, there's going to be one score higher than the other. Then those same teams can come back and play again in a few more weeks. And it could be a totally different result, but that, that message that you're you're putting out there of we can be out there with the bold promise of we are gonna win and we're excited about having you here and we're doing these things and honestly of course i think that in the charitable sector it would be wonderful if somebody absolutely did just win you know what we we defeated cancer our organization found the cure and it's all over now everybody else that was also looking for the cure should reasonably just go home and say all right cool you know they did it but it got done more importantly right. than you know that you know than we did it or they did it or whatever if those kids are getting fed and and they're in class and paying attention and really feeling better that day it's great if it was your organization that did it but if somebody else finds a, a better way to engage community and they do it more and stronger i i think a lot of charities either learn from that and get better themselves or you know get out of the way and let these other folks take what has been successful and go most of the people i work with i i do think they really believe they're the ones that can do it better but i think they have to bring that bold promise to the fore in order to engage an audience in that so i don't think that is the same thing as being you know audacious or or boastful but i, I do think it is something to talk about in the messaging through the web, through social media, through email campaigns, through print, you know, when print is the right thing to do. Um, I think I, I was looking through your set that you really do talk about integrating communication strategies through those different um, pieces. Uh, I think social on the web gets a lot of contact these days, but it's mm -hmm. not necessarily the only driver of who's going to pay attention to you to the point where they start believing you are the ones to do it. Uh, how do you start thinking tactics when you've got somebody on board like, okay, I'm ready to be bold. Now, how do we execute this with the you know current resources while we're out there getting more resources? What do we make decisions about for moving forward? Wow, so many uh, ways I could address that question. So <laughs> let, me, let me just try and narrow it down. So uh, I think what you're asking is, you know, okay, you've, you've stepped up, you've made a, a bold promise. So how do you think about showing up that way in terms of your external messaging? Is that well, and how do you, you decide where to correctly? invest first? Because I do think that sometimes charities uh, either come with some older thinking of, you know, what are we doing for a very big print budget when maybe that's not the right solution versus the folks that have like thrown away every tactic that isn't TikTok. Uh, and, you know, um, and to me, there's a space in there for your bold promise needs to connect to audiences in ways that may be more about where is your potential audience of supporters? How are you reaching them with the resources currently at hand? Because right, let's go grow more resources. Absolutely. But you yeah. have to start somewhere. You got to begin somewhere. So usually that's a more limited pool and you have to think through, you know, is it the web? Is it these things? And I'm assuming you'll have different answers for different missions and different organizations at different life cycles. So how do you help them maybe dispel a myth or think through where is the right thing for the life stage of their mission outreach? Yeah, Steve, that's, um, you know, you have to do the fundamentals first. Um, again, that sounds like sports, but, <laughs> you know, um, I have found um, so often 
walking into some of the, the larger organizations that are doing so many things right, and then knowing that they have centers that offer services and learning that, you know, they're not being utilized correctly. So, you know, their federal reimbursements are under, they're not helping mm -hmm. as many people as they can. So it's, you know, wasted potential. And, you know, working through marketing tactics and how are we going to change this and then realizing like some of the basic things like having a Google Place page, making sure your name and phone number, do you show up on the map? Do you, you know, what happens when somebody calls your phone number? You know, is it specific to that center? Is it, you know, a generic voicemail? What, when they fill out a form and they're asking for help, what does that look like? Some of those most basic and candidly other than time, free things just kind of fall by the, the wayside, not because, hmm. you know, anyone is, uh, you know, dumb. It's just marketing is such a foreign topic in so many nonprofits that there just isn't a lot of the due diligence there. If anything, they're focusing on communications, which is valuable. It's extremely valuable, but we're pushing what we know out rather than inviting people, meeting people where they are and inviting them in. That's, you know, the delicate balance of marketing versus communications and you need both. So I could tell any nonprofit could start today just by making sure that those first touch points are really strong, that they can be found, that when they show up, they seem welcoming, they make it easy, do that. You know, we, we spend a lot of time and we could Lord spend a lot of money driving that awareness, trying to increase our name awareness. Yes, do people know you? Do they recognize your name? Do they know what you do? But if you put all the money you have out there and you don't have the next steps ready for how are you going to show up when you greet them? What kind of experience are they going to have? Whether they're using your services or funding your services, if you aren't strong there, then you're incredibly inefficient because you're granting awareness. But every time somebody tries to take their engagement with you a little deeper and you're not there, you're not showing up in the way you should be, you don't get a second chance. So it's almost like starting at the, what we call the advocacy level first, like making sure once you have a raving fan, how do you nurture that? How do you create that? How do you empower them to tell more people to be your, your best cheerleader? And then, you know, how do you show up from day one? What does that experience with you look like? Whether it's a volunteer, donor, corporate sponsor, or, um, you know, participant in a recovery program. When you know you've got those things stacked and they're really strong, then let's look externally and say, how can we open that pipeline to more people, you know, increase our utilization, increase our um, community engagement, because we're ready for it. Just starting out there at the top, it's going to be incredibly inefficient and frustrating for both the organization and, and the people that you're trying to bring in. Do you see it differently, the same? 
Well, I, I'm really intrigued by this more what I would define as user-centric conversation that you're having around processes and engagement and whatnot, rather than a, a more donor-centric or whatever, you know, community-centric fundraising, I guess is a big buzzword. But when I think about, you know, I need some help from a marketing agency, I don't necessarily think they're going to help me understand the user experience to a point where I see my own stumbling blocks that I maybe, you know, as a program person, am so focused on you know what it's like for our staff to deliver the service that I don't necessarily think of the process that the user, whatever that user is, maybe it's a direct consumer of services from our organization, maybe it's a, a somebody who could be a community advocate, but they're just not there yet. Um, as as the way that we're testing, where is your starting point? If I go to your website and it's not mobile optimized and I can't you know take a a, a decent understanding a of that, one. where people and I and I see that less and less these days. I feel like we're kind of getting past that particular problem, but it's still a thing that happens periodically. But more to the point. That, so yes, it's still. Oh, there. really? <laughs> yes. I well, there you go. I guess it's still happening out there. Uh, but I think that that not just okay. It's mobile optimized, and the menus resize themselves. Great. What's on the menus? You know, how are we helping people? find their way in support of this, either as a user, Th that wouldn't necessarily have come to me from, well, I'm going to this marketing agency to get a, a broader connection to more members of community. But you you sometimes really have to start from that user experience and build out is what I heard you say. Yeah, agree. I mean, one of my favorite um, things to do is really sit down and plot that experience. So let's say it is a donor. Well, you know, we probably have an impression, you know, whether it's billboards or, you know, radio or social media or whatever. And then there's, you know, a website visit and then there's a form fill. And then there's, you know, is there a presentation or a personal outreach? And then is there a first gift and a second gift? And when do you, when do you call them a loyal, reliable donor and mapping out that process and saying, how do we show up in each of these places? And what are the ben what are the numbers now, and where do we need to drive them? Because you know we can turn levers all day long, but if if there's a lever somewhere in the process that is turned off, you know people yeah. stop. They're they're not going to jump over it and continue the journey. That it's it's just a a total block in the pipeline. You you're going to lose them. Yeah, I, I have had this experience more directly just recently between my partner and I in terms of um, ways that we want to access information about somebody helping in community, because um, I do not want to talk to a person on the phone if there's any way to avoid it. Drives me absolutely crazy. You know, I, I should be able to get the information I need through these channels. It's basic. And if it doesn't happen, then I feel like it's failed me. And, and my partner is absolutely the other way. She's just like, can I just get the phone number? I don't want to spend all this time dorking around looking at websites and whatnot. I want to just call somebody and explain the specifics of what I want and need. Uh, there are both of those types of people in the universe. And if I'm the one that's making all of the marketing decisions based around how efficiently we can route people through our website, when what they really want to do is just call somebody, 
um, mm-hmm. and have that conversation, then looking th- for some additional help, uh, getting some layers to say, what are the barriers to that bold promise that we're talking about back there? Because if more of our people would rather just call somebody, um, how are we making sure that we take advantage of that opportunity versus you know whatever else the other thing may be? Uh, I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about how that success story then is so much easier to become part of the rest of the marketing message because that person did get someone on the phone if that's what they wanted to do, or they were able to find the actual answer to what they wanted on the website without having to call somebody if that's what they wanted to do. And then that experience is in that person's head of, yeah, I needed an answer to that. And I went to this charity over here and it was great. Um, as opposed to, I tried to figure out that answer and I went to some charity, I can't even remember the name of it anymore, but I couldn't get my answer and I had to go somewhere else. Uh, and we've lost that advocate in community, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. probably. So building that out as a part of the strategy of where do we need to start of thinking of that user-centric piece is, I think, really important, but not always in the vision space of a lot of charities. Well, let's face it, Steve. So, you know, nonprofits, you know, typically look at marketing as an occasional opportunity. So if they've convinced the board or they've got a grant or they've, you know, got one shot to do something different um, and drive awareness, you know, they have to make it work. And so you can't afford if this is a, you know, a proof point that, okay, when we do marketing, we get X, Y, Z. And if you're not ready for it, you know, I would love if I could change anything, you know, to, to convince people and educate that marketing has to be looked at as a leading investment and not this operational expense that sometimes you have money for, sometimes you don't. Mm. It's one of the first things you cut. And because everything has to go back to the mission, I get the importance of driving the mission, but, you know, you would never tell an individual or um, any business to not invest in yourself to grow and expand. And, you know, how do you do that? Well, you can always improve your, your product and your performance. Um, you can either grow the amount of people that you help or the amount of people that help you. And that's where marketing is needed is to create, increase the demand from both ends so that the organization is called to grow. And, you know, it, it just can't be this, like I said, one shot wonder where, okay, let's, let's go throw, you know, some money at this and, and see if this works. And if it doesn't, well, you know, you had your shot with marketing funds, but at the same time, like nobody could find the center, nobody was answering the phone, all, all these little things that just get in the way. Yeah, I think that that word investment I've seen in earlier parts of the conversation, both from the perspective of the organization investing in itself to be that bold promise leader, um, that we need to, you know, be able to to do that, um, and from the community to say um, this isn't some kind of. Uh, you know, uh, just gift of generosity that's very nice and everything, you're investing in a change you want to see in this community. This is something that you are looking at an end game, not like I feel better because I gave a few dollars today um, to an organization that seemed very nice, but rather I'm really thinking about how much money I'm going to give because this impact really strikes me as something that is 
I believe in. I believe that they're the ones to solve it. It's important. Um, and you know, whenever we talk about what's a meaningful gift to somebody, uh, to me, it's always that stumbling point of, you know, would you notice if that money was gone from your bank account? That's a meaningful gift, right? If if I spent 20 bucks at a coffee shop and didn't think about it and you know didn't bother to reconcile my bank statement to it, then a $20 gift to a charity isn't meaningful. You know, that's mm -hmm. a it's fine. But, you know, if I'm going to make a $200 gift or a $1,000 gift, you know, those I'm going to go, wait a minute, who's who's the the partner for that? Why why here all of a sudden? And I, I think it's fine to think about that first gift as maybe a less investment, but a starter to the conversation. Um, and that's OK. But what we're talking about here with this bold promise is really seeking people that are going to be able to both internally as board members, lead staff, champions, all the rest of it, to invest in their own uh, resources to do this work over the long term uh, and the community to invest in this, to uh, make the big swing, to do the big change. And th that language is a little different, again, from the charitable timidness that we started the conversation about. It's much more of a uh, you know, intention to create change in future is what investment really means. Right. And another way to add value in that is, like you said, somebody who makes that, you know, $50 donation, maybe in honor of, you know, a friend or family member who, you know, recently passed, why would they have the same experience in your organization versus someone who, you know, their first touch point was they came and volunteered and now they're really excited. So peeling away the layers of donors and not just looking at, well, dollar amounts, or we can look at income or the socioeconomic, you know, markers, but instead peeling it back and looking for attitudes. What is the motivation? What's bringing them forward? And what are the obstacles? You know, are they, they coming because of the subject matter or the people that we serve? Are they coming because they they want fulfillment in themselves? Like what's driving that? And then how do we show up a little differently for each of those attitudes? Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I just was looking at the clock. We don't have, have a lot of time left, uh, but I, I do want to kind of get into beyond that first step of, you know, contacting a, a field trip or another organization that does what you do or probably not as well. I'm going to guess that your bold promise is you do it better than other people. Am I right? <laughs> well, we are, our bold promise is united we create because right. we're creating opportunities for so, everyone. When when they contact you to create that opportunity, when when somebody gets you on the phone, maybe there's that user centric conversation. But um, how, with just a few minutes left in our conversation today, uh, how do you convince a charity to step forward and start taking this uh, promise idea a little more seriously? What what are the things that you encourage them to do? Just to be curious. Hmm. It's that simple. Because if you wait until you think you have it all figured out. You probably aren't, um, you know, looking big enough or you're overlooking something because you're too close to it. So really just being curious about what does that look like? What would be the implications of that? And, you know, openness to having a conversation. It's not, you know, some people just aren't in the right place. Some people might not have the the appetite or even, you know, the support to say, Hey, we're going to end um, homelessness in you know this region, or and and here's how we're going to do that. But um, you know, 
there is power by saying that, saying it with compassion and conviction, and then asking people to join you and make that happen. That's far different than, oh, would you, you know, we need to buy 50 more meals this month. You know, can you, can you find these dollars for us? You might get it once, but you won't convert anybody to become an advocate and your, your cheerleader that way. Makes sense. So uh, I certainly think people can take a look at the website. Again, the links in the show notes to as one way of uh, communicating. I will also suggest that some of the mission multiplier stuff you've been doing recently in particular is a great shareable way of trying to engage more champions in an organization to think about some of these issues. That curiosity that you just mentioned being so critical that uh, sometimes if you've got you know one person listening to a podcast while they're out walking their dogs, like, wait, yes. This, right, I need to do this. Maybe you need two or three more people uh, from the organization to kind of get on board. They they aren't going to listen to this forty five minute conversation. So get get them into take a look at some of those uh, mission multiplier opportunities. You can read them, you can watch them. I think those are great places. Uh, but I I guess the imperative here as we're closing up is whatever you do, let's do something to be that bold promise delivered. Let's take the next action step, uh, and uh, it is possible for all of us. So um, I'm going to have to. Said wrap us up on that thought. Jane Pfeiffer is the founder and president of Field Trip. Jane, thanks again for being willing to talk today. It was really fun. Thank you, Steve. I've had a blast.